Hello, golfers. Hey, golfers here. Now live on WWLS, the sports animal. This is the 73rd hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show. Giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the sports animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon today and uh guys i have no clue what we're going to talk about today there's not much going on in the golf world uh actually it was probably the busiest week for taylor and i that we have had since we started doing this podcast on a non-major week uh t-dub let's do this and we'll tell the listeners out there we'll cover the canadian open we'll we'll you know get rid of the the non-fun stuff early and then we'll talk merger we'll talk live and pga merging together we'll talk all of that and then we'll get into the u.s open which is getting lost in all of this fellas uh coming up next week at la country club but t-dub let's do go ahead and start with the rbc canadian open ct pan is in the lead at 14 under he shot six under yesterday played his college golf at Washington, 31 years old, um, was kind of a can't-miss guy coming out of college. But T-Dub, C.T. Pan is an interesting player because he really has not played much good golf this year, really in his last 25 events, until the Byron Nelson, where he finished solo fourth. Before that, he had missed the cut his last four tournaments before that. So, he clearly has found something in his game right around the time of the Byron Nelson T-Dub. And so far this week, he has looked really, really solid, gaining over two shots on the greens. The putter is hot for CT Pan and gaining over half a shot in every other category. Um, what have you seen from CT Pan this week to make uh, to make you think that he might have a chance to just go ahead and close out Fleetwood and McElroy and Mark Hubbard and Justin Rose and Harry Higgs, who are all behind him? Well, Sam, how funny is it that this is – we've been talking about this on our podcast for quite a while this year, that we're going to have most weeks where it's either going to be a PGA Tour elevated event or you're going to have a live event. This is the first week – since the 18th Pebble Beach in February that we did not have an elevated PGA Tour event or a live event going on. And what just happened, we had probably the biggest week that's ever going to happen in the history of professional golf. So about a week ago, we thought this was going to be a pretty easy week. Maybe we'll just kind of coast into the U.S. Open a little bit and be able to prognosticate that. But no, the golf just got turned upside down on its head. As far as the Canadian Open and C.T. Pan, you mentioned, I mean, he had not been playing very good golf at all coming into this tournament going all the way back to uh, really the start of this year. He had really, he had not played only played a couple of times this year. He had not played since, uh, since November of last year. Then he, he did not play again until a corn Ferry tournament in March this last year. And so he's played the last, uh, he's played his last three PGA tour events, the RBC heritage, Wells Fargo and the Byron Nellis. You mentioned where he finished fourth, but had not made a cut in there. So maybe he was dealing with an injury of some sort. That's a long time to uh, not play any golf. He only has nine starts in his 2023 campaign but he's definitely got something figured out over the last couple weeks 
as you mentioned, really the putter is, is what's got him going. He's gaining over two shots on the greens from everyone that's made the cut. He's second in the field in putting, so that's very impressive. Isn't hitting that many fairways, only hitting a little bit above 50, 55% of them, but he's hitting 72% of the greens. So he's got his irons dialed in, and his short game is there too, getting almost a full shot around the greens. But it seems like, Sam, that his kryptonite is going to be, he's not the longest player in the world by any stretch. seems like every tournament he doesn't, he's not above the threshold of average distance. And his, his, his accuracy has been a little bit off here or there. So I feel like, Sam, for us watching whoever has CT Pan picked and thinks that they can win, you're going to have to look at the driver because it seems like everything else in his game is dialed in, but it just seems like he's not hitting enough fairways for how far he hits it. But he's been able to get away with it for three rounds. We'll see if he can do it for four. I'll just tell you this. Right now, C.T. Pan has a two-shot lead, and he is not the favorite in this golf tournament, according to Vegas. We'll get to the odds a little later on, and if you like C.T. Pan, that might be a good guy to bet on today, considering you get a two-shot advantage on the field, but there are some big names chasing C.T. Pan. Two shots back, you have, let's talk about Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy, 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 Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, that is a big-time inside joke from when I kept saying that all of Ryder Cup week. I picked the Europeans and ended up getting my ass smacked, T-Dub. Uh, so, anyways, Tommy Fleetwood is back playing some exceptional golf. Yesterday gained over over four and a half shots on the greens. The claw is back, uh, T-Dub. I know that on a couple longer putts, he wasn't using the claw, but anything inside about 20 feet, he was definitely using the claw. The claw is back, T-Dub. Tommy Fleetwood shot eight under yesterday in round three. Only one bogey in that round. Really exceptional play from Tommy Fleetwood and headed into L.A. Country Club, maybe a place that might fit his game pretty nicely, T-Dub. Yeah, and Tom is a guy who has been actually playing decently well in uh, in some majors over the last uh, couple of weeks. I mean, he finished uh, wait, he finished 18th of the PGA, finished fourth at the uh, at the British Open last year, finished fifth last year at Southern Hills at the PGA. So no, I, I do think that he he's definitely grinding up into form. Didn't miss the cut in his last start at the Charles Schwab, but that was the week after the PGA. A lot of things could be going on there where he finished 18th, and then he finished fifth at the Wells Fargo and 15th. At the RBC Heritage, both of those were elevated events as well. So, yeah, Tommy's Tommy's starting to get it turned around a little bit for sure. As, as far as this week's concerned, seems like he very similar to C.T. Pan. He's just crushing it on the, on the greens. You mentioned how great he putted yesterday, but for the week he's gaining over two shots on the field, which is absolutely impressive, gaining more than a full shot off of the tee. Seems like that he's uh, he's actually hitting less fairways than C.T. Pan is, but he's a lot longer player than, than C.T. is, so he's able to take advantage of some of those holes. Isn't gaining as many shots approach the green or around the green as C.T. Pan is, but it, the, the driver is definitely what's carrying him. So if you could have a fusion of the two where you get Tommy Fleetwood's driver and everything else, C.T. Pan, that would be the overwhelmingly favorite right now. But it uh, seems like to me, Sam, uh, looking on the analytics, Tommy Fleetwood's kryptonite this week has been around the greens. And so if he's not able to hit the great approach shots as he has been going into and, and be able to get off the drives, as he has, seems like the short game may be holding him back. So that would be something interesting to see going this afternoon. But it does seem like Tommy Fleetwood is definitely going to be a trending pick going into next week at LACC. T-Dub, one of the only big names in this non-elevated event is the defending champion, Rory McIlroy. Um he went through the slump around the time of the waste management all the way really through the match play. If you want to count the match play where he finished third 
Um, but then he missed the cut at Augusta, finished 47th at the Wells Fargo after that, but has had two tied for seventh at the PGA and then the Memorial. And it looks like he's getting some things figured out at least just talking golf, TW doesn't really have anything figured out when it comes to all the off the course stuff. I guess we'll see how all of that turns out. But just on the course, TW, it looks like he's getting a lot more comfortable. And, you know, it, I think the main thing that I see in his game is that on the greens this week, he's almost gaining two shots on the greens this week uh bogey free yesterday shot six under par yesterday um but when i look at his putting stats t-dub that was really what was hindering him he lost shots lost over half a shot at the masters at the players at the genesis and at um the waste management t-dub so in those four big time events he lost over half a shot on the greens and uh, you know, this week, like I said, almost gaining two shots on the greens on the field per round, T-Dub. That's big time uh, from Rory McIlroy. And if you're a Rory McIlroy fan headed into the U.S. Open, that has to be definitely something you are excited about. The putter is getting rolling, and that's a common trend of all the guys that are in, in the top two. There, there's a total of seven of them, so it's there's a little bit more than that. But every single one of them is gaining as almost a shot and a half on the greens, if not more, which is usually a common trend. But generally, you'll have a couple of outliers there where maybe one guy isn't putting particularly well and just hitting the ball exceptionally. But no, this week, everyone up there is putting well. And as for Rory, the last couple of tournaments, he has gotten the putter figured out a little bit, comparatively to where it was. From the stretch of the waste management back in February to the Masters, he had he had only gained shots gained on the greens twice in those tournaments. The uh, match play, as you mentioned, and then Bay Hill down at Arnold Palmer, where he always plays good. But it seems like he's gotten kind of figured out a little bit uh, over the last couple of weeks for sure. And his driver is coming back as well because he he had there had been a few tournaments, in particular, he's still gaining shots off the tee, but not as much as he used to. He's gaining he's used to gaining more than a full shot off the tee, with just how far he hits and take advantage of some of those others. This week, he's gaining almost a shot and a half off the tee. He, he is leading the field in that category he did have a situation yesterday he had been struggling with his wedges a little bit yesterday hit him a little bit better it won so good that it hit the flag and it rolled back off to 60 feet so that hurt a little bit but yesterday was one of the better wedge performances that rory's had in a while that was something that really held him back on sunday last week at at the memorial but one thing that's interesting sam going into this tournament he's 117th on the pga tour in final round scoring average he's behind the likes of austin cook stewart sink jt poston scott piercy been on Alex Smalley, Nate Ashley. All those guys have a better final round scoring average than Rory McIlroy does. So it was something we saw last week in the Memorial. That final round was one of the worst performances I've seen from a world-class player. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to kind of get over some of those some of those hindrances that have been having him because it's true that he is looking like he's starting to trust a little bit more. But definitely we saw it last week where once the pressure got on, he lost a lot of trust in his game. So today is going to be a very big test for Rory McIlroy. Did have the, the really probably a pretty costly three-putt on the last hole, and it kept him out of the final group this afternoon. So that that's something to look out for. Had had about a three-footer. That not only did he hit a horrible putt on, but he played a horrible line, too, which whenever you have both those combinations, you, you know probably something's a little bit off. And it could be a one-off with, with just that putt. But, no, nah, that's the thing I'll be looking at this afternoon, Sam, is that he's going to be able to trust what he has been doing going into it. Because if you're not going to have trust in the final round of the RBC Canadian Open, you're dang sure you're not going to have trust in it when if you're coming down the stretch of a U.S. Open. That's a great point. That stat you gave out, give that stat one more time about his final round scoring average. That's very interesting. 
He is 117th on the tier in scoring average. Um, he is averaging 70.57 on the year, which is uh, for out, which I believe he is. He's currently 13th in the FedEx Cup standings, the fourth player analytically. So to be that high up and then to be outside the top 100 final round scoring, definitely that, that's more than a trend whenever it gets to that point. That's maybe something to look out for if you're looking at the betting odds headed into this final round. Rory McIlroy is the favorite at plus 280 uh, to win the golf tournament, to finish top five, minus 275, uh, to finish top 10, minus 1400. Then you got CT Pan at plus 360. And then right there in third, you have Justin Rose at plus 500, who I think could possibly be your best bet headed into this final round. Justin Rose has played extremely consistent golf this year. He's 42 years old. I know that. But at the same time, he won the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am, but then he missed the cut at Riviera in the Arnold Palmer after that. But since then, ultimate consistency from Justin Rose. Tied for sixth at the Players. He tied for 16th at the Masters. Tied for 25th at the RBC Heritage top 10 at the PGA championship and then tied for 12th last time he teed it up at the Charles Schwab challenge at the Colon- at colonial um, T dub. When you think about Justin Rose, how the heck is he doing this so consistently as a 42 year old in 11 months, almost 43 years old on the PGA tour T dub. And he's still one of the most consistent ball strikers out there. Rose has always had one of one of, and some may argue the best, one of the best technically sound golf swings you'll ever see. And just to your point with the irons, he has not lost strokes gained approach going all the way back to the American Express, which was in January of this year. So he's played upwards of ten to twelve tournaments where he has not lost it. And he's gaining a lot of shots too, especially the last two weeks at the PGA. He gained one point eight two shots gained approach. Then at the Charles Schwab, he gained uh, over two shots approach that week as well so and this week he's gaining 1.54 approach really the thing that's holding Justin Rose back is off the tee he's actually one of the few guys who's inside the top 15 on the leaderboard who's actually losing strokes gain off the tee so that'll be something to watch out for as well he's actually hitting a pretty vast amount of fairways he's hitting two-thirds of the fairways but the problem is he's, he's uh, like I've seen I've seen him hit very few drivers this week at all which that, that just sets up for the course right there's a lot of holes where you, you have to play positioning there's a lot of canyon goalie type areas to where you just cannot drive it through the fairway. So I think that's going to be something to look out for as well. And then even just this goes beyond Justin Rose, though, Sam, but the, the, the drastic difference between the front nine and the back nine this week on scoring, it's absolutely crazy. Just to put that in perspective, yesterday the front nine average shot over par. The back nine played a shot and a half under par. The second round played a shot over par on the front nine versus the back nine played a shot under par so it's going to be one of those situations where you can just kind of grind through the front nine Sam and particularly holes three through six are playing some of the hardest all week they're all par fours and they're all above 460 yards so those are all playing as massive brutes so if you can just get really through the first nine or in particular Sam the first six holes I think you're going to be able to have a chance to make a lot of birdies which is something like Justin Rose did yesterday shooting six under the back nine Tommy Fleetwood uh, did uh, what he shoot? I think he shot five. He shot five under in the back nine, making a lot of birdies with no bogeys in there as well. So that's I think that's going to be a trend this afternoon, Sam. Just kind of grind through the front nine and then be able to pounce and make some birdies on that back. One of the most popular guys on the PGA Tour is big, sexy Harry Higgs. He's right there in that group at twelve under par. 
tied for second place. Now, Harry Higgs came into this tournament after missing his last four cuts, his only top 10 T-Dub in his last 25 events was at the Puerto Rico Open, which is an opposite field event. Um, He's only gained shots, strokes gained approach on the field, you know, in any tournament for three different tournaments in his last 25 events has only gained shots with the irons three different times in his last 25 events has been in a massive slump. And then all of a sudden yesterday he shoots five under to get to 12 under for the golf tournament. If, if he wins today, he's going to be in the U S open and the masters, a bunch of pressure on one of the most popular guys out there. Harry Higgs headed into today. Just to emphasize the slump that Harry Higgs has been in, Sam, he has not finished top 10 in a non-opposite field event going all the way back to the CJ Cup in 2021. So that's almost a year and a half ago, and we're approaching two years now since he's had a top 10. Hopefully he can break that trend this week there as well. And as I mentioned, the 400th-ranked player analytically just has not been playing well. He's never hit his irons well, but what has happened the last year or so, it's just gotten absolutely drastic, and his driver has lost it as well. But – the putter is still a little bit there. That's been really the only thing that's, that's been saving him. This week, though, Sam, seems like everything's been on. The driver, you're gaining a little bit of shots there, but not in abundance, but you're gaining more than a shot on the greens, around the greens, and approach as well. So, it, But it's going to be interesting, though, Sam, because whenever you've been in a slump for that long and now you finally get yourself into contention, even though it's not an elevated thing, you still have a lot of big names out there. You have the Rory's Fleetwoods, Justin Rose, those types. So it's there's going to be a lot of pressure on Harry Higgs this afternoon because he is also the uh, he's 128th in the FedEx Cup standings. So we um, who knows how that'll change with this whole merger type thing. But at least at this point, you need to get in the top 70 to secure it and a big finish this afternoon. In particular, probably a top three finish, which is what I think you need to, to make a, a drastic bump up. It's something that Harry Higgs needs because he's still only 31 years old. He's not an old guy by any stretch. And as you mentioned, is a definite fan favorite. A lot of people will want to see him play a lot better golf than he has in the last year for sure. No doubt about it, T-Double. Who do you like today? I'll go first. I think that Justin Rose gets the job done today because he's put himself in position to do so so many different times this year. He did get the job done at Pebble Beach, but I think he gets the job done again today. Rory, I think it would be an interesting storyline headed into the U.S. Open, but that final round scoring average definitely worries me if I'm a Rory McIlroy fan and wanted to bet on Rory McIlroy headed into this final round but on you know playing devil's advocate with myself on Rory he's the defending champion here so he did it here last year maybe some good vibes headed into this final round as opposed to some of those other final rounds earlier on this year and then the other guy I'm looking at is Tommy Fleetwood. When a you know perennial Ryder Cupper starts shooting eight under par on moving day, uh, you know he's getting something figured out, and it's the putting for Tommy Fleetwood. And if Tommy Fleetwood is starting to putt like that, look out because he's going to turn into that same guy we saw in the Ryder Cup four years ago, T-Dub. So um, give me Justin Rose today, but I'm not super, super confident considering – there's what eight guys up there within two shots of the lead. I really like your Justin Rose pick as well. The, the off the tee stuff is kind of hindrance me a little bit. And the fact that we both had Patrick Cantley last week, who was in the top five going to the final round. And I believe finished 30th for the tournament. So that, that was a time where both of us being on a guy did not work out so well. So I'm probably stay away from Rose because you picked him. 
you guys think something has to give, right? Either Tommy Fleetwood's finally going to get his win over here on the PGA Tour, or Rory's going to break his Sunday slump. I mean, is there a world where a C.T. Pan or maybe a Mark Hubbard or an Andrew Novak is there as well? Is there a chance they could win? I think slim, but yes, maybe there is. But no, I, I do think that, Sam, even though I mentioned the final round scoring average has been horrible this year, I do think this is where Rory does break the trend. I do think he's going to play some really good golf. This afternoon, what's fun though, he is the defending champion. He's actually the, the two-time defending champion because because of COVID, they didn't host the Canadian Open for two years, and he won back 2019. So he's actually poised to be one of the few people, really since the turn of the century, to win a tournament three years in a row. I think Stuart Appleby did it in Hawaii, uh, Steve Tricker did it at John Deere, and Tiger did it upwards of five or six times just to add to the legend. He is, but no, there's just something that's, that's screaming at me, Sam, saying that Rory's going to get it done this afternoon. I'll probably watch him on this front nine hit some hit some wedges from 100 yards out to 40 feet, and I'll say, what in the world was I thinking? But there's just something telling me. Maybe it's just the inner Rory fan in me that's saying he's going to come out and play some good golf this afternoon. The driver's there. The putter's there. If he can just get those things in the middle lined out, I just think that he's going to win this tournament. Wouldn't it be hilarious, T-Dub, if, you know, we spend all this time talking about when is Victor Hovland going to win in the continental United States or when is Tommy Fleetwood finally going to get that PGA Tour win and they both win when it's overshadowed by the biggest story in the history of golf? (laughs) I mean, that would be crazy to me uh, if we spent all that time talking about those two guys. And then all of a sudden, you know, we didn't even have time last week to talk about Victor Hovland winning at the Memorial, which was a massive story, especially headed into the U S open. Definitely got to give props to the former cowboy on that one. I think it would be fitting if, uh, if Tommy Fleetwood got the job done today, speaking along those lines, T dub the last thing for this segment here, Remember when I said that I was going to start taking the one and done seriously, our pool with about a hundred people in it where, you know, we pick one golfer each week, two golfers on major weeks. And all of a sudden I was in third place after picking Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler at the PGA championship. Uh, and I kind of had not been taking it seriously, not making picks on non-elevated, non-elevated weeks. And I said, I'm going to start taking it seriously Well, this week with all the news that came down and we didn't do a preview show on our podcast for the RBC Canadian Open for obvious reasons, we had other things we had to, you know, talk about. Uh, I totally forgot to put in a pick for the uh, RBC Canadian Open T-Dub. So I'm sticking true to what has got me here into that top three. Hopefully I just continue to pick the elevated events and the majors correctly. Well, Sam, my pick ended up missing the cut. So I wish I would have done what you did and forgot to make a pick because I could have at least saved a player going. And so let's just put it this way. You didn't have the worst-case scenario that could have happened this week unless you had C.T. Payne lined out to pick and you just somehow didn't. But I'm going to say the odds of that were pretty slim. Yeah, I don't think I was going to go with C.T. Pan uh, headed into this week. Um, All right, T-Dub, let's go ahead and hit a break. After the break, we're going to dive into – some of this live PGA Tour, DP World Tour merger, try to help you guys understand it. I don't know if you guys heard yesterday, but I was on. We, Jim Woodward talked about it right here on the Sports Animal with me. If you missed that, we will be adding that to the podcast of this radio show. So definitely go hit that subscribe button on the 73rd Hole podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, plus the sportsanimal.com golfoklahoma.org and just hit that subscribe button it's absolutely free and it just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop new episodes like our pga uh, excuse me u.s open preview coming up 
later this week. So definitely hit that subscribe button on the 73rd hole podcast. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you till noon on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. It's very good for golf. Two rules that I think that we have an obligation to make sure that we disseminate over the national and in some cases international airwaves uh, on first take right here. Number one, business is business. Trust no one. Number two, follow the money. Trust no one and follow the money. Does PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan look absolutely positively trifling? Yes, he does. You know what? He was preaching and giving that song and dance, trying to go up before Congress, bring up human rights violations on the part of the Saudis, you know, to try to get the government involved to, to neutralize and squash their business so they wouldn't compromise the best interests of the PGA. And then here he is doing business with them. Okay, he looks like a flaming hypocrite. And if I'm the golfers that stood by his side, I would despise him for life. That is true. But in the same breath, there's a multitude of things that can be true here. And that is, it was good for the business of golf. In the end, those golfers for the PGA, when you had guys like Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and others that were bringing up what the PGA was not doing for its golfers and why you needed competition like Live Golf to come into the equation to basically elevate the status of the PGA in terms of making sure they'd get on their game and treat golfers better. That is what ended up happening. You, you succeed in going about the business of globalizing the sport of golf, and those things have been accomplished. And for those that are not paying attention, let's understand this, because I've read the articles, and I'm not going to mention any names, but all of these sanctimonious folks that are just throwing shade at the PGA and saying this is disgusting, this is horrible, blah, 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 blah. What I get disgusted about, Doggy, and I'm sure you do as well, is when sports and sports figures are held to a higher level of accountability than others, particularly businesses in corporate America and our government. We're looking at the ratings. I'm looking at 2023 PGA ratings, not the masters because they did good. But PGA 2023 here, ratings were down 14% year over year. It was a 15-year low for CBS. The 2.6 rating for the final round, which was considered exciting, was the lowest for the final round coverage in the last 42 Years, okay? We understand what was at stake here. We understand that the PGA is trying to get paid and make sure they keep their coffers fat. We get all of that. The public investment fund with the Saudis, run by its crown crown prince, their fund is worth over $730 billion. And so we have to understand, you could have a problem with this, because I read this, doggy. Saudis public investment fund is now the exclusive investor In the new golf entity, it has the right of first refusal on any new investment. So essentially, they own the PGA. You got a problem with that? Okay, well, let me ask you this. You got a problem. And we should, right? But here's the problem, doggy. I had this looked up. Let me read a couple of things to you. The Saudi Arabia Sovereign Wealth Fund snapped up stakes worth at least $7.7 billion in the United States and European blue chip companies during the first three months of this year. 
The investments include stakes in Boeing, Disney, Bank of America, Facebook, Marriott, Pfizer, Starbucks. As recently as 2019, the United States government goods and services trade with Saudi Arabia totaled an estimated 38 $0.7 billion. Exports were at $24.9 billion. Imports were at $14.9 billion. Surplus for the U.S. was $9 billion. The companies who do business with the Saudis, AT&T, Bank of America, Chase Manhattan Bank, Chevron, Sigma, Citicorp, Coca-Cola, Exxon, Ford Motor Company, General Electric, IBM, J.P. Morgan, Motorola, Pepsi-Cola, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, Shell, and Texaco. But we got politicians. On Capitol Hill, literally quoted as saying, we got a senator from Oregon talking about, you know what, hypocrisy doesn't begin to describe this brazen, shameless cash grab. We got government officials calling out golf when I just read you what I read you. Are you kidding me? We got a governor, Connecticut Governor Molly, Chris Murphy, in, on Twitter. So weird. PGA officials were in my office just months ago talking about how the Saudis' human rights record should disqualify them from having a stake in a major American sport. I guess maybe their concerns weren't really about human rights. Duh! If the United States government don't seem yeah. to have concerns about it, if no, a multitude of corporate corporations in the United States don't seem to have a problem with it, last time I checked, the PGA is a business. So if it's a business like everybody else, and everybody else is doing business, what's the problem with the PGA doing business? We could talk about the hypocrisy of Jay Monahan. That's a separate subject. But the fact that they're doing business with the Saudis says to me, they're joining a long line of people who have no problem doing business with the Saudis. We had the president giving a fist bump with the Saudis. What the hell are we talking about? Stop the hypocrisy. It's about business. You're in America. It's a capitalistic society. It's the United States of America. This is how we do business. The PGA ain't doing anything new. They're following what they've been seeing for decades. Get the hell over it. It's business. Yes, That's all I got to say. Whoa. Yes, sir. The one and only Stephen A. Smith. Welcome back into the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. I wanted to play that full clip of what Stephen A. Smith said on first take. That's coming from not even a golf fan. That's coming from a sports fan who understands the business aspect of it. He didn't have any bias toward Liv or bias toward the PGA Tour. He looked at this situation and said, obviously, this is good for the game of golf. And obviously, Jay Monahan is one of the bigger hypocrites in the history of not only sports, but business as well. And T-Dub, I gave my thoughts on that clip yesterday that you can go back and hear on our podcast of this radio show. But T-Dub, I wanted to give you the opportunity uh, to, you know, hear that clip and then give your thoughts on what Stephen A said, because I thought that he put everything that we've been trying to say from the beginning perfectly, T-Dub. Usually I do not agree with what Stephen A. Smith says, but on this deal, he's, he's 100% right. And what's funny about it, Sam, is he's saying a lot of things that we've been saying for the last year now. It's just that he's on a lot bigger platform than we are. And as you mentioned, he's not in the golfing world. But, but just to the point, as he said, and one of the things that we've been saying through this countless time is, is that why are these golfers in particular, athletes or golfers in general, going to be held 
to a higher standard than than the United States government or corporations that are going to be in. And someone, someone like Brandon Chambly, when when the day all this broke out, he he tried to say that, oh well, it's bigger on the athlete to go than a corporation because a corporation, it's harder for them to discern where the money's coming from. It's the biggest load of crap I'd ever heard in my entire life. And just to, another stat to put into perspective, Sam, about how what we do with Saudi Arabia. We, in 2021, this is the last year I could get these numbers on it, we bought 156 million barrels of oil from them. 156 million. And these are the same people that don't want to drill here, but yet buy from the Saudis. It's absolutely ridiculous. So it's just – that's what we've been saying this whole time, Sam, is, is that if you're going to have this moral high ground standard, you need to apply it to all aspects of life, all. Not just the golfers. You need to be mad at the AT&Ts, the FedExes of the world. And you need to be mad at the United States government and other governments that deal with them if you're going to be like this. But it's funny that people draw a line in the sand there. And a lot of people now, Sam, are drawing a line in the sand like a brain on Blue who said that, I mean, they cannot stand what the Saudis are doing and they would never go to them. But now that, now that they essentially own the PJ Tour, do you think Brandon's going to find a different job and start covering a different uh, sport? I think the odds of that are pretty slim. <laughs> That's a great question, T-Dub. And I'm glad you brought Brandel up because I brought some receipts with me on Brandel Chambly as well. Um, actually, let's go ahead and take a break. And then I will get into all of the receipts on Brandel Chambly and Jimmy Dunn, Jay Monahan. We have some audio to play for you guys, but just you know, keep in mind over this break and be thinking about the fact that Brandel back in June of 2022 said, quote, it's blood money. And in June of 2023, T-Dub, he calls blood money, quote, an influx of capital. Let's uh, go ahead and hit a break here on the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animal. We're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And before the break, we were talking about some of the hypocrisy that has gone on, especially in the golf media over the last year. And T-Dub, I just want to say this, that anyone who has seen my Twitter mentions uh, will obviously agree with me on this. The people have absolutely hated me and you over this past year for telling the truth on this live situation. Listen, I hated on the tour in the first place, the PGA tour in the first place, because they were running a monopoly while simultaneously comparing good people to literal terrorists t-dub they were allowing those 9-11 commercials on the golf channel with the faces of our good friend taylor gooch i thought it was absolutely pathetic um and then to top that all off they ruined not only when i say they i'm talking about the pga tour jay monahan spewing his bs brandel chambly on the golf channel spewing their bs listen they ruined a year of Phil Mickelson's career. He wasn't even allowed to go defend his championship at Southern Hills. They tried to drag his name through the mud, and then a year later, they go and do the exact same thing. Brandel still hasn't resigned. As you said last segment, T-Dub, he still hasn't resigned due to his morals, even though the you know PGA Tour that he covers has a contract with the golf channel, okay? They have a golf channel contract TV sign. That's what all the, you know, talks with Phil and the OWGR were about. And 
it's now run by the Saudis. So I, I mean, Brandel can say whatever he wants on the golf channel, but he's still getting his checks signed by the golf channel who is getting their checks signed by Yasser al Rumayan. Um, so let's go back to the U S open last year. Let's take me back a year ago, Preston, please. And let's hear what Brandel said about Phil Mickelson after, after that first good for golf. Let's hear what Brandel said uh, about Phil Mickelson after that first uh, press conference that we heard from Phil interesting comments from Brandel Chambly a year ago. So in that moment, you saw how Machiavellian he was. You saw how manipulative and, and, and you saw how insincere and disingenuous he was because that's exactly what he meant. And again, we saw this side of Phil then and nothing that I've seen from Phil Mickelson from that moment to this moment has really changed. I know he's a marvelous talent, uh, but that was the true Phil Mickelson, at least in my view. And the, the Phil Mickelson that we saw right here, um, you know, it turns out when you're trying to sell a lie, it, it's hard to talk with a great uh, deal of comfort and ease. Yeah, I agree. Golf fans out there, please hear me when I say this. Who was selling the lie the whole time? Was it Phil Mickelson or was Brandel Chambly trying to manipulate you guys into thinking that the PGA Tour had some sort of moral high ground? T-Dub, please give your thoughts on this. Well, Sam, first of all, I'm just impressed you're able to get that clip considering you, me, and the 73rd old podcast are all blocked from Chambly on Twitter. So the fact <laughs> you even got the audio was very, very impressive. And one of the things that I found interesting was there's a philosopher named Carl Jung, and he said one of his famous quotes was, the things that bother us most about other people are projections of our unresolved issues, fears, and insecurities. And when I heard that quote about Phil, I thought Chambly was talking about himself. He talked about manipulative, insecure, talking about Machiavellian. I mean, it, it sounded like he was describing himself to a T. That's what's so funny about it. And it's just, it's all come full circle, Sam. The hypocrisy uh, of everything is bad. And what's crazy about it is that everyone was really so dumb on this. It, the Saudis played classic game theory on this. All they did was was that the PJ Tour had even came out and admitted this in the last couple of days. They were not going to be able to keep paying the lawsuits and these elevated purses. They had spent almost $100 million out of their reserves. So all the Saudis had to do, Sam, was just sit back, let the legal situation take another two or three years, and all of a sudden the PJ Tour would have been bankrupt with all the sponsors that were going on. So the fact that all these people who ripped on the Saudi, the PJ Tour people who ripped on the Saudis could not have seen a scenario where they possibly could have done it. They just thought, oh, well, they'll go away and we can hold it out for so long. They totally misplayed their hand so drastically. And the media, in all honesty, and people like Chambly, made the situation a lot worse, and it came back full circle to bite him right in the rear end, even though as much as they'll try to tell you, oh, Jay Monahan's still in charge, oh, Liv's going to go away in a year. It's just some of the things that the media is even still saying, Sam, just blows my mind that people can believe it. And that's why I'm playing these clips, T-Dub, because I want people out there to be careful of what information they are taking in right now. We've heard Rory McIlroy over this past week say that Jay Monahan is still going to be in control. Well, follow the money. Who has the money, T-Dub? That's the PIF and Yasser Al-Rumayan. Yes, maybe Liv does you know, change its name, but it's still going to be a factor in golf. We heard that in the press release that the team aspect is still going to be very much involved in whatever this new schedule looks like. 
Um, we also heard Rory McIlroy and Brandel Shambly both say that they still hate Liv. Interesting, because why were they telling us that they hated Liv all along? Because of the source of the money, okay? Let's hear from Brandel Shambly on uh, Travis Fulton's podcast. And Brandel Shambly, this was, what, six months ago? And Brandel Chamblee was talking about this PIF that he now calls an influx of capital. For, uh, committing all these uh, atrocities. You look at what he's doing to the citizens of his of his country. Um, you know, ask yourself, I mean, would you have played for Stalin? Would you have played for Hitler? Would you have played for Mao? Would you have played for Pol Pot? Would I mean, you have played for Putin? A, would you have played for Putin? <laughs> right. uh, would, would you? Uh, and no. that's, that's who this guy is. Um, right. He settles disputes with bone bones, uh, bone saws. Um, so you know he's not anybody who's sponsoring players who are aligning themselves with this man who runs this league, who runs that fund, which runs and funds this tour. Um, I don't think is is getting exactly what they they had in mind when they recruited these players. Interesting quote from Brandel there. And I want to add Jimmy Dunn's quote. And if you don't know who Jimmy Dunn is, he was one of the two people who helped broker the deal between the PGA Tour and the PIF. Let's hear what, uh, you know, Jimmy Dunn was saying this past week on Brandel Chamblee's very golf channel. It seemed like he was taking up for this PIF fund. And if someone can find someone that unequivocally was involved with it, I'll kill them myself. We don't have to wait around. But the reality of it is, is that we need to do it. And if someone- Interesting. He's talking about 9-11. He said, quote, if anyone can find someone who was unequivocally involved in 9-11, he'll kill them himself. T-Dub, this is all-time hypocrisy from the Golf Channel and Brandel Chamblee and Jimmy Dunn. Jimmy Dunn is Rory McIlroy's boy. He is Jay Monahan's boy. He is Brandel Chamblee's boy. And now he's taking up for the PIF fund that they ripped over this past year. And why are they taking up for it? Because Yasser Al-Rumayan is now... Monahan's boss, Jimmy Dunn's boss. He's Rory McIlroy's boss. And essentially, since the TV contract that is massive and it's signed by the PGA Tour and the Golf Channel, he's essentially Brandel Chamblee's boss because the PGA Tour is and the Golf Channel is their success is directly dependent on the success of the PGA Tour T Dub. This is all-time hypocrisy, and we've been trying to tell you all along, but no. If you look at our Twitter mentions over this past year, they would tell you that we're the crazy ones. Who's the crazy ones, T-Dub? Well, just of, of craziness. This is just some of the stuff that I've heard over this last week, them trying to kind of back up the what, what this merger is going to happen. They, they've said the likes of Monaghan's still going to be in control. Liv is going to disappear. Liv players are going to have a, such a hard time coming back on the PJ Tour. It's going to be excruciating. Then you have, as we mentioned earlier, the fact that that PJ Tour was not going to be able to keep up paying all this. So anyone who knows, literally, you could have made a D minus in a business class. In one business class, you've taken your entire life. And you should know better than to believe what you're hearing about this. You really think that Monahan's still going to be in control, Liv's going to go away, these players aren't going to be able to come back, and the Saturday's just going to give money to the PJ Tour and act like that that was a good deal for them? Why would they do that? I, I, it keeps blowing my mind that they're trying to spin this 
every single way possible. Here's a good example of it too, Sam. The other day on the Golf Channel, they had a lawyer on there talking about what this could mean for the litigation. The litigation's over. There is no more. It is done. The only And then you have people like Chambly saying, oh, well, this merger may not go through, which, I mean, I guess there is a slight, I mean, a point. The oh, PGA oh, Tour better hope then. it goes through because then Liv would have all of the leverage with the players. Well, it would make no sense that you could do a, a DP World Tour and PJ Tour merger, but now that you've done Live and the fact that they've considered that Live wasn't a product, but now you add it in here and that makes it a monopoly. And that's one thing that, that they've been saying this whole time, Sam. Uh, they're trying to back up the PJ Tour, and it's so true, though. Being a monopoly is not a crime. It's the, the practices that you do to make sure that you stay a monopoly are the crime. So the fact that they want to combine like this would not be – uh, any sort of, in my opinion, antitrust deal whatsoever. But that just goes how far they're trying to spin it, Sam. And like I said, I'm not a lawyer and all this, but they have people on there still talking about the litigation when that was the number one thing they talked about with all this. The litigation is done, and that's the number one reason that PJ Tour and the Saudis in general they didn't want their 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 whole PIF portfolio being exposed to the public. So both sides didn't want this to go to litigation, and the, and the media is still trying to talk about it, even though it is a non-issue anymore. T-Dub, what have I been saying this entire time? Let's use common sense. Let's hear what I said back on January 4th of 2023. This was our first of the year show. I already gave my bold prediction earlier, but I do think that Liv and the PGA Tour will come to some sort of agreement before we hit January 1 of 2024. This stuff can't last this long. There has to be a compromise somewhere. We can't have guys like Dustin Johnson or Taylor Gooch or Cam Smith keep dropping an official world golf ranking. I don't know what it looks like as far as the compromise, but number one, it has to at least include the official world golf ranking and Liv has to get official World Golf ranking points, but I'm going a step farther than that. I think there will be some sort of merger between the two before we hit January 1 of 2024. Even though we have the trial in January, I don't think it even goes that far. I think people and, and common sense prevails. Wow. I, I think that, that is definitely... T-Dub, common sense is prevailing, but if you can weed through all of the BS being spewed and the twist being, you know, portrayed in the media over this past week by Rory or Monahan or Jimmy Dunn, you realize what happened. You realize that the PGA tour was spending millions and millions and millions of dollars. We'll get to the wall street journal report next segment, but you realize that they were spending millions of dollars on this lawsuit that was going to take three to four years, according to the PGA tour um, to decide what, you know, to what's going to happen next. And then T dub, you realize the fact that the PGA tour had sponsors that were upset, whether it was Honda who was non elevated Jack Nicholas and the Honda who wanted to be elevated and have a better field or, you know, other sponsors that were elevated like MasterCard and Bay Hill that were upset that they had to pay those bigger purses that they did not sign up for in the first place. And I think that the common sense will tell you that the PGA Tour underestimated the fact that Liv was sustainable for over a decade without any media help or any sponsorship dollars because of the massive PIF fund. And so they not only did they not want their books exposed, 
they were going to run out of money. And so what happens is Yasir Al-Rumayan takes advantage of this opportunity, and he's not just going to, you know, submit to the PGA Tour without getting any control. Common sense, T-Dub, which we've been using all along, would tell you the reason why Yasser did this right now is because he saw a chance to gain control without going through a trial. It was just a, a perfect storm for, for the Saudis and live when you think about it, because when COVID happened with the PGA Tour, that depleted a lot of their funds. You had the lawsuit fees. You had the fact that you had to increase their purses to elevate events. And then probably the biggest deal out of all this, at, at least going forward, is that we're having to deal with the post-Tiger era when it comes to golf viewership, and that's something that Stephen A. mentioned the numbers are down. I feel like that's a huge part of it. I mean, Tiger's played, what, one actual P- – he's played in majors, but one PGA Tour event since, what, November of 2020? So that's a big part of it. And so, yeah, it was just a perfect opportunity, and with all that stuff going on, the PGA Tour was going to run out of money at some point, and uh, the PIF and, and Yassir, they jumped on in, and now they have a very commanding – and our, like uh, Stephen A. was saying earlier, they have the first right to say who can be an investor in the PGA Tour. So they essentially make all the financial decisions when it comes down to this and the new for-profit entity, which we haven't even talked about yet. But in my opinion, that's going to be the future uh, of golf is that for-profit because that's going to what's really going to change uh, really the landscape going forward, even though as much as this last week has flipped us upside down, there's so much more to come uh, that we have to find out. It's not even funny. Well, T-Dub, we need to hit a break here. After the break, we will get into what we think the future of professional golf looks like over this next year and over the next 10 years or so. We'll also dive into a little bit of a U.S. Open preview next hour coming up next week at L.A. Country Club, and then we will give our picks again for people who missed it earlier on the RBC Canadian Open. You're listening to the 73rd Hole Radio Show on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. Hello, golfers. The golfers here. Now live on WWLS, the Sports Animal, this is the 73rd Hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. And we're back for hour two right here on the sports animal on the 73rd Hole Radio Show, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. Let's wrap up this Live PGA Tour, DP World Tour merger talk, T-Dub, and we'll get into the future of things, but I think it's important to understand how this deal actually went down, what we actually know are the facts so far, because looking into the future, we don't know any facts about you know, the, the schedule or who's in charge or is live a thing. We don't know any of that stuff, but we can speculate. Um, but let's talk about how this deal actually went down. Um, the wall street journal yesterday came out with a report that said that the PGA tour commissioner, Jay Monahan told employees at the PGA tour headquarters in Florida that they could no longer afford the legal fees in the fight against the Saudi Arabia's uh, sovereign wealth fund in the tour had dipped into the reserves to pay for elevated events. Um, 
interestingly enough, you know, the, the PGA Tours, you know, PR campaign right now, and it makes absolutely no sense if you read it out loud. He said, Jay Monahan said, quote, we, we cannot compete with a foreign government with unlimited money. This was the time. We waited to be in the strongest possible position to get this deal done. How exactly were they in the strongest possible position to get this deal done? But how exactly they got this deal done, T-Dub, and more, uh, you know, reports out of this Wall Street Journal report plus others, um, we came to the conclusion that, you know, the PGA Tour spent $100 million of its reserves in legal fees, $50 million uh, in, in purses and elevated events. So they were obviously you know, spending more than was coming in. And that was obviously one of the reasons why they decided to get the deal done. We also know that the PGA tour believed, um, you know, that it's legal battle with live would continue for at least three to four more years. According to sources. Um, we also found out that Jimmy Dunn, uh, who we talked about last segment, who you heard, you know, his comments on the golf channel was the first person to reach out to Yasir al Rumayan via WhatsApp. Uh, that's an interesting way uh, to do, you know, billion dollar deals through WhatsApp. I thought WhatsApp was like, when, when are we going to party tonight for a fraternity or something like that? Um, but that's how the first lines of communication actually opened up. Um, we also found out that the first meeting between the PGA tour commissioner, Jay Monahan and Yasir al Rumayan uh, happened in Venice, Italy, while Al Rumayan was in town for Lawrence Strolls. I guess he's an F1 driver. Uh, Preston, you might let me know. Uh, I guess his daughter's wedding was in Venice, Italy, and they met in Venice, Italy first. Who is, uh, who is Lawrence Stroll, Preston? I know you're the big F1 guy. So he owns the uh, Aston Martin team. He's the okay. owner. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um. So then additional meetings were held both in person and video conference in San Francisco and New York. Um, And then the final agreement was signed on May 30th at a Four Seasons Hotel. Um, And it says, but it was really just a framework as it didn't include specific valuations or investment details. Uh, I know that's a lot of information right there, T-Dub. I also know that they played golf over in the U.K., uh, and made, you know, the people that worked in the clubhouse sign non-disclosure agreements. I think they played two rounds of golf together or something like that. Um, T-Dub, what are your thoughts on how this deal actually went down? Well, it's just pretty crazy when you piece it all together. One of the big things coming out of there was that the PJ Tour was the ones that reached out to, to you here. So, once again, another situation where the PJ Tour was in such a good situation, they hated Lyft so much, why would they reach out to them? I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Let's just try to piece things together here and, and figure out what actually occurred. And then you look at it, too, the fact that all this happened so long and then it was a seven-week venture type thing and we never heard about it. Like, it's just crazy that they were able to keep it so under wraps to just – we just wake up one Tuesday morning and the entire golf landscape has just been flipped on its head. That's the thing I can't believe about this It's just how long it took. And then – Sam, I was thinking about this the other day, too. This is a little bit separate from from what we just read. But remember we talked a couple weeks ago on the podcast about how the PGA Tour rejected the Raytheon deal for the, 18, for the Byron Nelson because of their ties to Saudi? And then two weeks later, they partnered with them. It just makes up to continuous. No <laughs> two sense weeks. is being made here. I don't understand 
what has happened? I think the PJ Tour just woke up one morning, Sam. It, it it's sort of like like you have the. I was reading a story the other day about how a, a kid ran up. A, a parent's bank account for like five months because they're buying mobile games. And it's like, how do you not check your account for five months? It's like the PJ Tour didn't check their bank for like six months. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're probably going to go bankrupt if we do this for another year. Let's reach out to the Saudis and get it figured out. It's like they had no clue what was going on for, for really the start of this year. It is interesting when you hear certain quotes like from Rory McIlroy saying that he found out uh, the Monday before it was announced on Tuesday that's an interesting quote from Rory because who is the only player on the PGA Tour so far that has defended Jay Monahan? Obviously, we haven't heard from Tiger yet, but the only one that has come out and said he has trust in Jay Monahan is Rory McIlroy, T-Dub. Why do you think that is considering other PGA Tour players all other PGA Tour players are fuming mad uh, for being lied to for over a year. That's probably because Rory McIlroy was getting paid by Jay Monahan for this whole time. And seven weeks is also an interesting number because what happened in the general time frame of seven weeks before uh, this deal was done and it was announced? Well, that was around the time of the RBC Heritage when Rory McIlroy mysteriously missed the RBC Heritage, which was an elevated event, uh, and said it was due to mental health reasons. I have to believe that Rory McIlroy was somehow, and this is speculation, obviously, but I have to believe that he knew something because Rory McIlroy mysteriously misses the RBC heritage and then mysteriously stops saying all of the outspoken things about Saudi Arabia, PIF, live, all of it. It's like he went absolutely silent right after the masters T-Dub. It is interesting timing for sure. It's also interesting timing. That's right after John Rom won the masters and for all the, the live rumor conspiracy guys saying that, that Rom was eventually going to go to live at some point, maybe that had something to do with it. I'm going to assume not, but, but maybe it did. But, but as for Rory, he's put himself in an interesting position because he has been the spokesman of the tour really over the last year or so. And what he's doing by backing Monaghan is, is that he's putting the other players against him too, which is pretty interesting position. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that. It, it, the only other explanation, Sam, as you said, could possibly be money. And, for Monaghan going forward, it's so interesting, right? Because he got him put into position as the CEO of this new for-profit deal, and uh, and Yasir's going to be the chairman of it. But if the players want to ask Jay Monaghan for the PGA Tour, is he still going to be the CEO of the entity that controls the PGA Tour? How in the world is that going to work out? Because I don't see a scenario where I can I, – I would be extremely shocked if within a year's amount of time Jay Monaghan's still in the position that he is. It would just blow my mind if that was still the case. And obviously what I said before was speculation. What is not speculation that we know for a fact is that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy are business partners in the TGL deal, which is the the golf league, which is going to go around to arenas and they're going to do some sort of simulator golf. Uh, and they have all of these PGA Tour players signed to guaranteed contracts. That's one of the reasons why I do not feel bad or feel like Rory McIlroy is a sacrificial lamb in all of this because he is in business with Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour is their partner in that business venture, T-Dub. Yeah, that's another thing that's going to be interesting about this is the TGL part of this. I mean, that was something that's supposed to come out the start of this next year, 2024. 
So that just adds a whole nother layer to it. But no, it's uh, Rory has definitely been compensated very well for what he's been doing for the last year, being a spokesman of the tour. And it seems like that he's still continuing on that road. Maybe that's the reason that he's playing a little bit better golf this week as well. Maybe he could come out and win because last year he won here against the, a really good tournament against Justin Thomas, right when all the lift stuff came out as well. That's where Monahan had his famous um, criticizing the, the, the lift players because of nine 11. Here we are a year later and how time, has changed so maybe that's a little bit of motivation for rory to to play better that that could be something for him as well it's just uh i i don't know i i love rory so much on the course he's probably my i for the last decade i've been a huge rory fan besides tiger he's been my favorite player man and i love everything he does on the course except what happens in the final round especially last week but there's some of the stuff he says off the course, Sam. It's just you have to shake your hand. I'm almost at the point now to where maybe it's just me being the fandom of him. I mentioned this on the deal. I don't think he believes a lot of stuff that he says because I think that the money is lining the pockets and saying that he doesn't. So maybe there's a little bit of conscience going in there battling with him, or maybe he does believe everything that he's saying. I don't know. But it's uh, Rory definitely on the course. I love him. Off the course, not his biggest fan by any stretch. So, T-Dub, that brings us to what the future might look like. And this is the weirdest merger of all time because it's like nobody knows uh, what the schedule is going to look like next year. You also have the DP World Tour involved in all of this. So where does Liv fit in? Because Greg Norman has been outspoken that Liv is not going anywhere. Well, I was surprised to hear that. I figured when they merged and the news came out, I just figured that the schedule would look something like the elevated events will be the same as they, you know, were planning on limited field, no cut events, uh, you know, tournaments like the Memorial or Bay Hill, those tournaments are going to look the same. And then you were going to have, you know, your John Deere classics be live events. But if you really think about it, that can't necessarily be the case T-Dub because if you really want to, make money off of this team aspect you're going to have to have the big names on these teams and you're going if you're really you know trying to sell these teams for billions of dollars and if those live players who have equity in those teams want to you know maximize their profit you would want the biggest names on those teams and if you're making the John Deere Classic live events with the teams I don't see how that's going to be extremely profitable with, you know, so-so names with middle of the pack guys. So obviously the big names are going to have to be involved in the team aspect of it, whether it's called live or not, or whether Greg Norman is involved or not, that's yet to be seen, but obviously that's going to be a part of this no matter what. And then the other part of this is to hear Jay Monahan or Rory or Jimmy Dunn say that the live guys are going to have a tough road back. That's crazy. Follow the money. Brooks Kepka, Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, those guys are going to make the PGA Tour money if they're in those fields. They're not going to make it that hard to come back. By the way, if they do find those guys, it's interesting because in those DJ, Cam Smith, the big names on live in those live contracts, we've already seen it publicly with the DP World Tour fines. The PIF pays those fines. So if the PGA Tour fines live players from for coming back to the PGA Tour, then obviously it would be like the PGA Tour fining itself, T-Dub. There's a bunch of stuff that just doesn't make sense yet. 
whole lot of great points, Sam. I, I feel like the biggest question, or one of the biggest questions, at least because there's a thousand of them, but how is – because Monahan had mentioned that one thing they liked about Liv was the team aspect, and they're going to incorporate that on the PJ Tour. How are they going to do that is the question. And I'm trying to think of ways that where it could be. I, I'm not – it's so hard to try to prognosticate that. You know, one thing I will say, and this is how I think – this is how – if I had to thank you to play out, this is how I think that it will. I think 2024 will probably be pretty similar to what we saw this year on the schedule. There will obviously be changes, but I think there will be just a little bit. And then maybe 2025 or definitely at least three to five years down the road is when you're going to see the big changes. I think there's still so many things unanswered and no, so many questions that need that need to be figured out because, like even last year, Sam, the PGA Tour schedule for the next year can't, comes out in – August or September or something like that. They have to get that figured out. So they don't really have much time to be creating, to re, be reinventing the wheel here when it comes to getting a schedule done and trying to merge live with it. Maybe they will get it figured out. And maybe 2024 will look drastically different. But if I had, if I had to pick what would happen, I think next year there will definitely be changes, but I think they'll all be pretty minor in a sense. And maybe a few here or there that are extremely drastic, but then in two, three, five years down the road, professional golf's not going to look anything similar to what it does today. And then the problem for the PGA Tour going forward is also this, and we heard this quote from Claude Harmon, who has been correct in everything that he said, whether people liked it at the time or not. Uh, Claude Harmon said, quote, and this was this morning, he said, quote, there are already rumors that players and fathers of players that had big offers from Liv that turned them down on the advice of the PGA Tour that are looking into taking legal action, which T-Dub, in my opinion, if you're, for instance, Hideki Matsuyama and you turn down $200 million, well, I don't think you can necessarily sue the PGA Tour for lying to you. Even though they lied to you, you basically didn't take that money because you didn't want to take the risk in the PR hit, T-Dub. I'm not sure that this holds any weight, but I know that a lot of players are going to at least look into the fact that they want compensation somehow, but at the same time, when I really sit back and look at it, those guys took no risk. I mean, Sam, we got guys like Chesson Hadley coming out saying that he wants to be compensated. He, the <laughs> highest Chesson Hadley was ever ranked in the world was 56. 56 ranked by the highest he ever got. And he wants to be compensated for not going to live. I cannot imagine what Hideki Matsuyama. Let me ask you this. On Chesson Hadley's comments when he was saying that he wanted to be compensated like Rory and Tiger, um, I honestly think that in that situation, he was almost being sarcastic, basically saying that, you know, the PGA Tour doesn't care about the middle of the pack guys. No, he couldn't be serious, right? he looked pretty serious on his face, at least to me. Maybe he had like a – I mean, Liv was trying to get a lot of guys to come over, at least initially, right? He may have had a $5 million offer or something like that. I can't imagine it being that much more for Chesson Hadley. But even then, he'd probably be like, yeah, I would like to be compensated for that as well. And like I said, like I've said numerous times throughout the last year, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly what kind of legal stand you'd be able to have on that deal going forward. I thought one thing that was interesting – uh, a few months ago was that when the PJ tour countersued live, it was from interfering with their player contracts. And as far as we knew, I didn't know PJ tour players had contracts with the PJ tour. I thought they were supposed to be independent contractors and be on a commission basis. So there's a lot of things that maybe were written down that we don't know about. One thing, what I think will happen on that front, Sam, is that they'll, 
the players who should have been compensated, the Hideki's, maybe even the Tigers in that sense, they'll be rewarded some way with maybe some equity in this new for-profit deal. They'll be rewarded that way in a sense because they're going to want to be able to stay low. I don't think there's a way that uh, these, the, especially the top dogs, the Cheston Hadleys, I think they're just going to be left out to dry. But but the big dogs in this game, they over the next five to ten years, you got to figure out there's going to be some way that they're going to be compensated pretty heavily. Okay, quickly, um, to wrap up this whole Live and PGA Tour merger, the last thing is – what does the future look like for guys ranked 40th to 75 on the PGA Tour right now? Because those guys' future, they they thought that they were in for next year, and then all of a sudden, obviously big names from Liv, I, I think probably 20, 15 to 20 guys from Liv are going to come in and take 15 to 20 guys' jobs on the PGA Tour. What happens? You gotta think they're not very happy about it. I think that's a, another question with the schedule, right? I mean, if 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 there if there are no live events, if live does get dissolved and form some other entity, then yeah, they'll probably want to play some of those tournaments. I think there'll be maybe not necessarily twenty guys, but yeah, it could it could be upwards of ten to fifteen. I believe that could potentially come out and do that, and then. Roy said to Grayson Murray, one one thing you can do is just play better, but I, I think that that's pretty unfair, especially the guys who potentially were loyal to you in that sense of going over it. And so maybe going to limited fields at this time of endeavor, Sam, is probably not the best option for those guys unless you just want to make every single player who's not a top 10 player in the world unhappy. But from things like, like Woody's told us, that's been the case for 60 years now. Got a text on the text line here from the 405. It says taking legal action against the PGA tour now is so weak. And they said it in more words than that. But I, I tend to agree. They took no, those players took no risk to go over to live. So why should they be rewarded in the end? It's business. Follow the money, whether you like it morally or not, you have to follow the money and we will continue to follow the money on the 73rd whole radio show and podcast definitely go hit that subscribe button and follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on twitter and at 73rd hole on instagram coming up after the break we're going to talk u.s open right here on oklahoma's leader in golf the sports animal And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. And what is getting lost in all of this golf news, merger news? We're kind of missing out on the fact that next week is U.S. Open week at L.A. Country Club. The first time that L.A. Country Club has ever held a major championship. I'm really excited for this T-Dub. We're already getting the videos of guys dropping balls in the rough. Nothing like the Twitter videos of guys dropping the ball in the rough saying this is going to be a long week. We see it even at PGA championships now. Um, I cannot wait for LA Country Club. We'll get into who we think might have the best chance in a second. But T-Dub, I do have to say one more thing on this whole merger situation is I feel like it's getting lost a little bit that one entity that might have egg on their face more than anybody else is the USGA T-Dub. Uh, Taylor Gooch, we've talked about this, qualified for the U.S. Open, finished in the top 30 of uh, the FedEx Cup points list, made the Tour Championship, but then was banned from the PGA Tour, was not allowed to play in the Tour Championship. 
And then the USGA comes out and retroactively takes that exemption away for finishing in the top 30 on the FedEx Cup points list. They said he had to be, quote, eligible to play in the Tour Championship last year to be eligible to play in our U.S. Open, basically saying since you went to live, then you are not allowed to play in the U.S. Open this year. Um, And then the week before the U.S. Open, Liv merges with the PGA Tour, T-Dub. That's big-time egg on your face, Mike Wan. Well, when when TG told us on our podcast the the whole USGA situation, it was in a massive joke. And then, and then news spread about it, and everyone realized how much more of a joke. But this was – if there has ever been a cherry on top or icing on the cake of something that was just an atrociously awful situation – this is this is it. I mean, it's such a ridiculous joke now, Sam, that the TG's not in the U.S. Open. The fact that the timing of all this has occurred really in the last just few months, and now it, it's still he still didn't get in the U.S. Open. They were not able to go back <laughs> as they retroactively changed it before. Yeah, can you they can't retroactively go back and change, change it, now? it again? <laughs> it's it's Sam. I'm almost at a loss for words. I mean, I'm I can't so believe angry they because didn't put him in this week. It's crazy. Well. And it would I, – I feel like that even though TG's our friend, we would – if it was any other player, we'd be saying the same thing because it's ludicrous. It's an atrocity that someone who's been playing such good golf won back-to-back live tournaments as a top 25 player analytically, maybe top 30 at worst, is not in the U.S. Open. It's, it's a crime in all honesty. It's a crime. It really is a crime. Um, let's get into the golf course, though, T-Dub. Uh, L.A. Country Club, like I said, has never held a major championship before. It has held, you know, Los Angeles Opens in the past. Um, But L.A. Country Club went through um, a restoration uh, back in the mid-90s to late-90s with Gil Hans involved as well. Um, What are you looking forward to most about seeing L.A. Country Club in a major championship setting for the first time, T-Dub? LA Country Club, it's always been ranked very highly in the Golf Digest Top 100, so you know how lead of a course it is. But even just watching Golf Digest came out with a video on YouTube, I would advise everyone to go to go watch it before this tournament. Just it's a flyover of every hole out there, and it's just you can just see there's so much character in the course. There's going to be a good mix of long par fours, short par fours. The par threes look great. I, I'm just and the, the biggest thing about it, Sam, too, is they're just showing this over, and I'm like. I can't believe this golf course is just in the middle of Los Angeles. The the fact that I would love to see what L.A. looked like before they built all those skyscrapers there because it just looks like a beautiful piece of property, and it's located just in the middle of this metropolis area. It, it's going to be crazy, and I think that also from the videos, as you mentioned, same with the rough being up there, we're going to see some very high scores this week, and I think that if you're going to be able to get anywhere under par this week, you're going you're to have a chance to win this tournament. It looks like it's going to be a, a very stern test for sure. T-Dub, obviously we talk about Max Homa having success in California, Patrick Cantlay having success, Xander Shoffley, all the California boys having success in California in the past. I think one of the main reasons for that is the Kukulia grass that they have is really interesting to chip off of if you are not used to it or didn't grow up on it, similar to how Bermuda's tough to chip on if you did not grow up on it and if you're not used to it. Um, and then you add in the factor of this really thick, nasty, heavy rough that you're going to see at L.A. Country Club this week. I, when I look at, you know, the data golf rankings and who I might prognosticate to have a good week next week, 
I'm leaning more towards California guys because they're used to this style of grass and they definitely don't play in California very often and this time of the year, T-Dub, on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely going to be a twist. As you mentioned, like a Max Homa, he was, he's the California king, but, but most of the California tournaments are in January. So how, how is that going to play out? you got to look at guys that have played the U.S. Open traditionally well. Someone like a Xander Schauffele, you had mentioned, in six U.S. Opens, his worst finish is 14th place, and his uh, second worst finish is seventh. So you got to feel like that maybe it's time for him to continuously break through even – Someone like a Brooks Kepko just passed winner at the PJ Championship, with the exception of the first U.S. Open he played and last U.S. Open because he was hurt. Other than that, he's finished fourth, second, win-win, 13th, 18th, and fourth. So I, I feel like between the mix of the California guys and guys who traditionally play well in the U.S. Open, I feel like that this uh, – I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of shocks whenever we get to a Sunday afternoon this next week and look at the leaderboard. I feel like there's going to be a lot of those guys who we expect to be there are going to be there. I feel like the cream is definitely going to rise to the top. T-Dub, I have a dilemma this week because I love Max Homa in California, but I don't love Max Homa in the U.S. Open. His best finish is a tied for 47th last year and had never made a cut in his three previous attempts at the U.S. Open. And then, remember, he was on that heater uh, to start the 2023 season. He won the Fortinet. He also won the Farmers at Torrey Pines, finished second at the Genesis at Riviera, um, and then kind of went into a slump. He missed the cut at the Zurich team event and also missed the cut at the RBC Heritage, only finished 43rd at the Masters. Um, but silver lining for Max Homa, at least recent form-wise, is the fact that he finished tied for eighth at the Wells Fargo, and then at Colonial, he finished tied for ninth, and in his last three starts, T-Dub, he's gained a shot on the field on the greens per round. Uh, so he's definitely putting better than he was at, at the Zurich, the RBC, or at Bay Hill, um, really where he lost. at Bay Hill, by the way, he lost over half a shot on the greens and still finished tied for 14th. That just shows how well he was striking it that week. Uh, what do you think about Max Homa this week? Because all year I've been saying I like him at LA Country Club, but it's kind of, you know, it's one of those deals where it, do you look at the U.S. Open or do you look at the golf course? I, I think Homa is starting to turn it around a little bit. You mentioned the putting the last three events has gotten a lot better. That's really been a catalyst because during his, uh, really, the, those three tournaments there where he had a horrible stretch, he had putted the ball horribly. And But another thing, too, is that his, his iron play has been really streaky since the start of the year. He went through a stretch where he gained, Sharks gained approach in, I believe, 10 straight tournaments. And then starting at the match play, that's really when it started to come around. But last week, at the, or his last tournament, the Charles Schwab gained .78 approach. So I think he's figuring out something on that front. And you look at how he's played the U.S. Open in particular. He's missed four. 2013 was when he was still an amateur, just turned pro. So that's uh, that's a little bit out there. That's a little bit. I'm not going to go ahead and count that one. But his last three, he's missed two cuts and finished 47th in there. But he's lost more than a shot on the greens in all of those tournaments. But you look at the courses – that they played. They played um, 2021 at, uh, or they played 2020 at Wingfoot. They played 2021 at Torrey, which was in California, and 2022 last year was at the Country Club. So I feel like maybe just going back to California and a little bit from LA where he's from, I feel like he's going to be used to that course. And I feel like that he's been, he's got, he's had this tournament cir- or circled on his calendar for quite a while. So I feel like he's going to be focused for it. Maybe it's one of those situations where you put too much pressure on yourself and you don't play well. I could definitely see that 
being a thing. But if I had to lean one way or the other, I feel like that I, I had been saving Max Homa to pick for the U.S. Open this week. And at this point, I'm still planning on him being one of my two picks. So unless something changes my mind in there, I'm going to roll with him. I would still be fairly surprised if he won the tournament. But if I had to pick how he'll do, I think he'll be right around there flirting with, with the lead a little bit on Sunday. Probably finish around 10 to 15, somewhere around there. Maybe top five if he can uh, if he can have all things go his way. Yeah, we have one more segment here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. And if you have a question on one of the guys uh, that you might be betting on this week, text it in, 405-900-9957 to the Trade Pros Heat and Air text nation line we'll talk about that guy and if you are not able to text in right now definitely listen to our full u.s open preview coming up later on in the week on the 73rd hole podcast t-dub i want to talk about one guy from norway by way of oklahoma state that is victor hovland finally got his first win in the continental united states at the memorial last time he teed it up unbelievable win for him after playing extremely consistent golf over the past year in his last 24 events he has not missed a cut he finished tied for second obviously at the pga championship and then finished tied for seventh at the masters what do you think victor hovland's chances are of finally breaking through and winning that major championship here at la country club this week I think they're pretty high in all honesty. You mentioned the win at the Memorial, which was a, a pretty big breakthrough for him, all things considered. And then also how he's played in, in the majors as of recently. Finished uh, T2 at the PGA, finished seventh at the Masters. Had a great chance going into that final round, but he had the unfortunate deal of playing with Mr. Molasses, Patrick Cantlay. And then even before that, he was in the final group at the Open Championship last year with Rory McIlroy finished fourth there where Cam Smith won. So he's definitely going to figure it out in the majors. Has a, a game really tailor-made for the majors, especially U.S. Open. You think about it, has not lost strokes gain off the tee. Uh, I'm having to scroll all the way back to the DP World Tour Championship back in November. So his, his driver has been exceptional. His irons, actually, two of the last four weeks, he's lost strokes gain approach. So that'll be something interesting to see as long as that's not going to be something that hindrance him. But his last three tournaments, Sam, he has gained uh, three-quarters of a shot or more on the green. So the putter's got it rolling. Actually, two of the last three tournaments as well, he's gained shots around the greens, which has always been his kryptonite. So, no, I think Harvey's going to be there on Sunday afternoon and would not shock me one bit if he was able, as he did his last tournament, break through to win in the continent United States, break through and potentially win his first major championship. T-Dub, if I gave you 100 bucks, would you bet on John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler? Ooh, good question. Probably Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he's just uh, – it seems like his putter is so bad, but his ball striking – he's having one of the most elite ball striking periods that we've ever seen in the history of golf. It's been crazy. His last – his putting's been horrible in his last how many ever tournaments? Third, third, second, fifth, 11th, 10th, fourth win. I mean, he hasn't finished outside of 12th going all the way back to the CJ Cup last year in October. And one thing, too, he finished second last year at the, at the Country Club, the Matty Fitz, and he finished seventh – uh, when it was here at Tory, So it's a great question. I'd probably lean towards Scotty just because the, uh, the ball striking is so well. But uh, John Rahm did win the U.S. Open last time it was here in California. So I uh, would not be shocked one bit if that was the case either. No doubt about it. I think that John Rahm's U.S. Open record is a little better than Scotty Scheffler's. Obviously has the win, but he also has a tie for 12th, a tie for 23rd, and a tie for 3rd. 
in his last four U.S. Open starts. Um, and also, I mean, he's still won six times around the world headed into this U.S. Open this year, T-Dub. I think we don't talk enough about the great play of John Rahm. Um, just a lot of talk with the not only the merger and live and Brooks Kepka, but Rory McIlroy. I think we spend too much time on sometimes. I think we spend even a little bit too much time on Scotty Scheffler. I feel like John Rahm is having a historical year and it's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. We might be talking on Sunday saying, hey, we forgot about John Rahm who won the Masters earlier on this year, right? <laughs> Have you ever heard of a Masters champion headed into a U.S. Open talked about less? Especially one who was playing so well at the beginning of the year. Just to put it in perspective, going the the analytics go all the way back to I believe 1995. John Rahm at the start of this year was playing the fourth best golf of all time, only behind the likes of Tiger, VJ, uh, David, and David Duvall. I mean, it was a legendary performance that was there. He's just even after winning the Masters, he still just hasn't been up to that form. Finished 50th at the PGA, finished 16th at the Memorial, did finish second at the Mexico Open, and if he had won that. Over Tony Finau, we might be looking at this entirely differently. But no, I'm, to say that that we haven't been looked at, uh, talked about enough wrong properly, I think it's just more to say how many great players there still are in today's day and age. Because no, the amount of good golf that John Rahm has played really over the last two years, really in my opinion, cannot be understated. We need to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you for one more segment after the break here on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. We're back for one final segment here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you. We were talking about some of the big names headed into this U.S. Open week at L.A. Country Club. T-Dub, which live player do you think is going to have the best week? Got to go with the reigning PJ champion, Brooks Kepka. Uh, we mentioned it that last segment how well he plays in in the in the u.s opens in particularly and he's just got a game so tailor-made for these tournaments i feel like that that he's got to be the favorite don't you say i mean there's there i mean you have the likes of a can smith dustin johnson potentially um but i don't know i don't think there's i don't think there's any way i would take any of the live guys over bruce kepke at this point he just looked too rock solid uh really since uh at the pj just looked like he was unbeatable sometimes it's not that hard you just got to go with the chalk and i think that that uh, is definitely the smart thing this week. If you bet on Brooks Kepka, obviously that is a good bet headed into the U.S. Open considering how well he's been playing all year. By the way, Brooks was at the uh, Florida Panthers game pounding on the drum uh, last night or two nights ago, whenever that was. Um, didn't get the job done, though. I think Vegas won that game, but still a cool uh, thing for Brooks Brooks to do. Um, as far as the other live guys, Cam Smith is interesting, right? Because he started to play a little bit better golf. He finished top 10 at the PGA, uh, finished second in Tulsa, obviously lost in the playoff to Dustin Johnson. Um, and then in DC, he was having a really good week, um, but then fell back on the final day, finished solo 11th place at live DC at Trump national. Um, T-Dub, as far as Cam Smith this year, it just hasn't been clicking off the tee with the driver for Cam Smith. In his two major championships, he's lost over half a shot off the tee in each of those major championships. So 
I kind that kind of worries me headed into a U.S. Open with such heavy rough. Uh, yes, he might put the light, lights out of it and make up for it, but he's going to put himself in certain positions where he just can't hit the green and doesn't have a shot if he keeps driving it the way that he has in the first two major championships of the year. Completely agree, Sam. In the in the nine tournaments that Cam's played this year, only two of them has he actually hit at a higher percentage of fairways than he hasn't. And he's not he's a he's a long player, but he's not he's not gonna overpower a golf course by any stretch. He's gonna have to make up for it with his iron play and uh, everything else is putting in particularly. But and this is another reason that I'm going to not be so high on Cam Smith this upcoming week. His very first U.S. Open he ever played in, which was at Chambers Bay in 2015, he finished T4 there. Since then, 59th missed cut, 72nd, 38th missed cut, missed cut. So talk about guys that do not have a good track record in U.S. Open. Cam Smith is definitely one of them. So, no, I, I will not be uh, betting on Cam Smith anywhere. But when you're the best putter in the game of golf, that can make up for a lot of areas. So maybe that will be the case. But just like you, Sam, I think that off the tee is going to hold him back a little bit too much. And as we've seen by that track record, he does not like the U.S. Open very much at all. One guy, the last guy that we'll talk about today, obviously we'll go through more players on the podcast later on in the week on our U.S. Open preview podcast. But the last guy I want to talk about today is a guy that I feel like that you can get a bunch of value on. Um, That is Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson loves the u.s open he obviously won the u.s open back in 2016 but he also finished uh, solo third place in 2018 finished sixth in 2020 at the covid u.s open uh finished 19th and 24th after that now he won in tulsa and things were looking like they were going to take a turn for dustin johnson um but then at the PGA, it was one of those weird weeks where he actually drove it really nicely and putted it really nicely, but the irons weren't cooperating at the PGA like Dustin Johnson needed him to, and he made the cut but finished tied for 55th, and then I don't put much stock in Live DC considering those guys had played in Tulsa and then played a major championship and then had to go play again the next week in DC. He didn't have a good week there, but I don't put much stock into that. I would say that Dustin Johnson, out of any player, probably you can find the best value on because he's proven that this year he's gotten some things clicking, obviously winning at Live Tulsa, um, but he also loves the U.S. Open, T-Dub. Yes, he does. Now, he has a, a very good record here. He, as you mentioned, won back in 2016. At Oakmont, finished second in 2015, had the the lucrative three-putt on 18 at Chambers Bay on those stellar greens that they had to allow George Spieth to win and finish third in 2018, finished sixth at Wingfoot in 2020, and then is even the last two years, so it's 19th and 24th, which isn't anything stellar. But, I mean, if you're especially filling out a DraftKings lineup, that's very solid as well. Do I think Dustin Johnson is going to win the U.S. Open? I'm going to go ahead and say no. But if you if you can get some value on, I would definitely, if you can find DJ for a top 10 bet for any any sort of value, I think you have to go with that because, as you mentioned, the, the D.C. Live Tournament was such an outlier, in my opinion, after the PGA. Even though at the PGA, Dustin Johnson, he had he did have a great first round, but then after that kind of stumbled and only finished 55th for the tournament. So, no, I, I think some better things are coming for D.J. this week. But I, I'm not going to pick him to win the tournament, but I definitely think he'll, be, uh, he'll, he'll make the cut and then he'll have a, a good week and make a solid check for sure. All right, T-Dub, we covered it first hour, um, but if – 
listeners out there missed it. Who do you like to win the golf tournament today at the RBC Canadian Open? CT Pan has a two-shot lead on Tommy Fleetwood, Rory McIlroy, Mark Hubbard, Justin Rose, Harry Higgs, and Novak. All those guys are only two shots behind CT Pan, who is at 14 under. Who do you like to win the golf tournament today? Despite the Sunday woes that I dialogued in the first hour, I think Rory McIlroy is going to pull it down. He, he's the, the two-time defending champion at this tournament, have been at different golf courses, and the, the, the one that was two times ago was, was three years ago or four years ago now at this point because COVID had it twice. But, no, I do think he will be the three-peat champion of the Canadian Open. You look at the, the analytics, he has a 22% chance to win. CT Pan's at 20%. Fleetwood's at 13%. Justin Rose is at 11%. Then he dropped down to Mark Hubbard at 6.9%. So I, it looks like the analytics are thinking it's going to be one of those four guys in particularly. I, I don't think it's C.T. Pan's time. He does have a two-shot lead. It's going to be tough for him. I, but there's a lot of things that are going to trend against. I do like your Justin Rose pick. I think that he's going to have a solid afternoon. But there's just something inside of me saying the screaming. Rory Macro is going to get it done. I'll pro- As I mentioned earlier, he'll probably hit some 100-yard wedges to 40 feet, and I'll be throwing stuff at the TV. But I think he's going to get it done this afternoon. I truly do. Well, you can get Roy McElroy right now at plus 280. He is the favorite to win in Vegas right now before this final round. The final round will be kicking off at 115 our time. CT Pan is the second favorite at plus 400. And then you have Justin Rose at plus 500. Tommy Fleetwood at plus 550. I hope everybody enjoys the golf today. Also, Sunday night baseball coming up tonight at 5 o'clock. Yankees and Red Sox right here on 98.1 FM and ESPN 640 AM. So definitely tune into that. Nothing like Yankees and Red Sox baseball. Everybody have a great Sunday. Also join us this week on our U.S. Open preview on the 73rd Hole podcast. For Taylor Williams and Preston Poole, this has been Sam Humphreys on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal.